The views and opinions on this podcast regarding any people or businesses mentioned are based on interviews and articles available to the public. The views and opinions of any guests are not necessarily those of the host, the producer, or Pants Pending Studios. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dog Lady Rants. I am your host, basically someone with an opinion that is not always popular, um, who has access to (laughs) some recording equipment, uh, a great producer, and a great group who hosts uh, my show. So uh, for those of you who are fairly new to this, um, some things that I go over um, is, you know, dog showing, dog breeding, uh, rescue, uh, I am uh, have been involved in showing and breeding for over 10 years now and, of course, help rescue as well. Um, and on the subject of rescue, let me jump right into an email that I received. Um, I just wanted to address this. Um, this is from Carrie, and she says, Dear Dog Lady Rants, I enjoy your show and agree with you on many things, but why criticize any rescue? It's already a thankless job. Um I believe there's good and bad individuals who are involved in just about anything. It's not that there's an automatic halo that goes on anyone who's in rescue because there are people who get into it with not the the best intentions. Um, That's not very common, uh, but it happens. And situations like that need to be called out. And I mean, on that subject, this is something that's happened in the last week that um, that I want to talk about that is a great example of this. Um, I'm not going to mention any specifics um, regarding you know which organization. Um, however, um, this is an organization that has set up a Facebook page to help people uh, connect with. Uh, uh, with people who have found their pets, basically. It's it's to post lost pets, it's to post found pets, and to hopefully connect those owners with the finders and so that they can get their, their pets back. Um, and apparently, recently, there's been some complaints that they have been pushing for donations, like not not just strongly suggesting it, but actually withholding information from the owner that would keep them from getting their dog back if they don't get a donation. So, you know, this is... Serious abuse of of what they have set up as, as supposedly a a great resource for people to be able to get their dogs back, um, and now they're abusing it. So, um, in one particular um, experience that has um, well, it's gone pretty viral um, this last week. Uh, a gal lost her dog. Um, they apparently um, it was found through the page. And um, this particular, you know, that whoever ran the page or the group had the information on who had the dog. So, you know, the person sends the information that will prove that that is, um, that that's their dog beyond a shadow of a doubt. And um, the response they get back says, um, you know, I just checked. The finder hasn't taken her to the shelter, hasn't taken um, the dog to the shelter yet. Basically goes into a spiel about how they're a nonprofit organization. And please consider a donation to show your support and appreciation, which will help enable us to keep, you know, doing the same thing for others. You know, um, basically that's what it said in so many words. So. But then it goes on to say, once I receive your donation, I will release your contact information to the finder so they can contact you and tell you where your pet is or if they're been, they've been taken to the shelter or the police department. 
Um, so the owner says, well, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable with, you know, the method of payment that you asked for. I, I'm in a hurry. I've got to go to work. Can I just go get my dog? Um, and they said, well, you know, I'll, I'll just tell them to take him to the shelter. And of course there's, um, oh, and, and then they go on to say, and risk getting fines for no license, paying a shelter fee, um, and then goes into um, other things that can happen and, and specifically says, well, you can either send a donation to, company name withheld, for doing the great service we do, or you can pay the fine the police might charge you for roaming at large and no license, also the shelter fee, and the finder even went out to purchase dog food. So with that, I give you a few minutes to respond, or, or I will tell her to do the other option. Um, so they say, well, well, we're gonna donate. Can we just have our dog back? And they said, well, I, that's what I'm waiting on is the donation. So they don't get to get their dog back unless there's a donation. That's not a donation, that's extortion. So these are the types of things that I often rant about is when there's, there's an abuse of the power or there's an abuse of being in a position to say, you know, hey, we're, we're a rescue. And in order to, sometimes they'll get dogs to flip, to resell. Um, and nine times out of 10, these, these rescues are struggling and they are paying a lot of money out of pocket for vet bills and things like that. But I have seen some abuse of the system and um, some people getting taken advantage of on occasion. So these are the types of things that I do call out on the podcast. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about today, um, and this is probably, uh, a pretty unpopular opinion. Uh, well, actually, I found out it is an unpopular opinion when discussing this in forums. Um, but but this is something that came up as um, um, fairly recently um, in some conversations, and, and it's been kind of an ongoing thing that I've struggled with over the years as far as what my attitude is towards this. And, and, and it's basically higher volume breeders. Now, we're not talking puppy mill. Um, every commercial breeder out there is not a puppy mill. Every high volume breeder out there is not a puppy mill. Everyone that you disagree with their breeding practices is not a puppy mill. We love to jump to that phrase anytime anyone um, doesn't meet our approval. We jump to call them a puppy mill. And they can have like three dogs and the people will call them a puppy mill if they don't agree with them. So let's just take that, <laughs> that phrase off the table. We're talking about someone who has more litters than than most breeders. And we're not falling into the category of commercial breeder either. We're talking about someone who just has a lot of litters. Um, and nine times out of 10, your your typical show breeders are going to say, oh my gosh, they're a puppy mill, you know, and they'll, they'll get very down on them. But here's some things that, that I want people to think about because I had the same opinion because I thought if, if you're not breeding for your next show prospect, you're supplying the pet population and there's plenty of dogs out there that need homes. So you don't need to supply the pet population. Well, this was several years ago. Um, and that I was of this opinion. And since then I've, you know, I've kind of tried to take it each situation separately. Um, but what I've come to find is there are not enough well-bred dogs from good lines with health testing that are bred, uh, brought up and placed responsibly. Um, they are, there are not enough available to the public, at least not in my breed, not in a lot of breeds that I'm aware of. Um, good breeders have long waiting lists. 
and some things that make a good breeder is it's the health testing it's the good lines it's either um, showing your dogs or um, getting performance titles on them to show that they are worthy representatives of the breed so um, so basically we're talking about as, as far as supply and demand there isn't a big enough supply of those really really well-bred dogs that are that are placed by responsible breeders um, so so here's some questions that I would ask people that have an objection to um, someone having more than, say, three or four litters a year. In, in one particular form in the conversation, it was determined three litters a year was all you should have. If you had a fourth litter, you were really pushing it. That was way too many. Um, and, you know, a, a very well-respected breeder spoke up and said, well, I've had three litters and I have a fourth plan because, you know, this, this, and this reason, and this is a line I'm trying to preserve and I'm not going to wait another year. This, you know, it was the, either the dog was getting older or, or something like that. So, um, so then it went on, well, well, that's okay because, you know, you're a really good breeder. And, and so I, I just, here's some, some objections that people typically have to this and you have to realize that each breeder is completely different and people have to stop lumping breeders together um, into one category if it's you know over x number of litters suddenly you're a puppy mill there's a great uh, article out there and i i reshare it every time it comes back up on my newsfeed. um but it's i don't have the exact title but it's like we're breeders why are we anti-breeding you know, why, why is there a big issue with breeding? You hear breeders brag, well, I've only had three litters in, you know, eight years. Okay. Are, what, what have you accomplished in your breeding program that way? It, it, it doesn't mean that if you, if you don't breed more litters, you can't accomplish something. But why is it a bragging point that you have only had X number of litters? It, to me, that means you have less experience you have brought up and evaluated less dogs, so you maybe have not been able to, you know, train your eye to see um, the flaws or the issues within your own program um, that may need addressing. Um, it's knowledge is power, and the more experience you have, and I'm not saying go out and breed a bunch of dogs, but um, when you have that experience of seeing multiple litters from from your lines you know, mature and what their faults are and what their positives are, you're going to know, you know, a lot more as far as what to move forward with in your program. Um, when you're placing dogs, it's a show prospect or a breeding prospect, you're going to know a heck of a lot more after several litters than you will at the beginning. You know, it's one of the objections, yes, is that, well, if you're, if you're, um, breeding a higher volume there must not be as much thought put into it and you know that's not the case um, you can put a lot of time and a lot of very careful planning uh, into multiple breedings and one of the other objections to breeding more litters is not having the time to raise them right um, that it's they're not going to be in an environment where they're cared for as well well people that are breeding more litters are typically someone who does that full-time that's basically their job um that's not for me <laughs> I, I don't think i could scoop puppy poop all day year round um you know when i do it for my brains that's that's plenty for me but there are people that um that do this basically full-time 
Um, and they have they have set themselves up very well to make sure that everything is um, you know, a great environment, clean environment, that, that the puppies get the handling they need, the health uh, care that they need. Um, and they, there are some that do every single thing that any other show breeder would do. They do the health testing. Sometimes they go further than some show breeders. I know there's some that don't even do the health testing. So, um, you know, if, if someone is following all of the exact same steps, but they're just there just happens to be more puppies. What are the objections? And, and I and I try to, to nail down the objections because once you nail them down, there's the possibility for someone hitting every single thing right and doing every single thing right. And that takes out the objections. So, and, and I'm, this is not a conversation where I am wanting to promote mass breeding. Absolutely not. It, it's not for me. Um, however, when the topic has come up, it's been interesting because when you would, when you address these specific objections, um, usually that takes down that argument and, and people see that maybe um, each breeder might be different. Of course, care and quality are a concern. That, that doesn't mean that someone can't have just as good quality um, or take just as good care of those puppies. It can be done. It is being done with some breeders. Let's see, flooding the pet market. Well, we talked about that earlier. There's, there in many breeds are not enough very well-bred, health-tested dogs available from good quality breeders. So, you know, that's, unless they're just churning out junk and, you know, sell them in a box in front of Walmart, you know, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about doing everything every other show breeder would do to responsibly produce a litter, but having more than three. Let's say they have eight litters in a year. <gasps> Everybody freaks out, right? And it is, <laughs> this is a really unpopular opinion that that would ever be okay because, oh my gosh, they're breeding too many. But how many of us pass names back and forth of people desperately, I mean, really, really good homes, desperately looking for well-bred a uh, dog from a responsible breeder and we don't have anything I mean maybe it's it's mainly in my area or I know there's some other areas where they're they're tough to find so what if you had someone that you could refer people to that had well-bred dogs that were responsibly raised that you know they were good people what is wrong with that um, and let's talk about uh, the end result of this and this is, this is another thing that I have brought up before. What these breeders have, now if they're dedicated to showing and to, you know, raising high quality, good representatives of the breed and continually improving their program, just like any other show breeder, they are wanting the next generation to be higher quality, closer to standard. Um, so what happens when a breeder that has one litter in a year, and with our breed typically you've got anywhere from two to four puppies, they have one litter in a year, um, they need maybe to keep a female back from their girl because that might be her last litter, um, because you don't get very many litters either. I mean, you probably get three litters. So they need to keep a female back, and let's say they have three puppies and one's a female. Which do you think they're gonna choose to keep? 
They've got one to choose from. Maybe there's two. So there's two to choose from. So that is the one that there, as long as it's, you know, there's nothing obviously confirmationally awful with it. Um, they're more likely to try and keep back just what they have because that's what they're limited to. Now take a breeder that has several litters in a year. Let's say they have eight litters. Let's keep with that number because that seems to be um, fairly horrifying for most. <laughs> but it's not a massive amount um, in in my opinion. It's, it's way, way more than I would ever want to have. Um, but it's it's not, you know, puppy mill status. So let's look at, let's say they have eight litters and let's say they've got, you know, the average litter is three. Let's say half are females. They've got a dozen puppies to choose from to carry on the next generation. So think about how much faster that breeders, the quality of their breeding program is going to advance. When they have several breedings, they have um, several to choose from to keep back. They can choose the very best of the best. They can also be very particular and very picky about which ones um, they take out of their program. Let's say there's just a little something they don't like about them, they remove that dog from the program. Um, yeah, I know that seems to be narrowing the gene pool, but usually we're talking about that when we've when we've already got a pretty narrow pool already we're talking about someone who may have more access to a, a broader variety of lines um, so they're more picky and taking out something that's not working something that may be just not quite as healthy maybe there's just a little something that they're like mm, these litters seem to be struggling i'm just not going to breed this one anymore you know i i want a, a very healthy, vibrant litter. And so the ones that are not producing that, I'm just not going to breed them anymore. So they can take those, make those decisions and take those steps to improve what they feel is, is what their, um, their program needs um, versus someone who maybe only has one or two and what they have is what they have. And that's what they're limited to choosing from. And, and you can have an absolutely fantastic program with very, very limited dogs. You know, picking, um, you know, the right lines and, and the right dogs to begin with um, obviously goes a long way with that. Um, however, if, if someone has several to choose from and you've got one or two, obviously at some point they are going to be moving the quality of their program much faster than you. And, you know, as long as they're still doing everything right. I mean, if they're just throwing dogs together and producing crap, well, that, that's its own problem right there. And that's not what I'm addressing um, in this conversation. So, um, so they can move their program forward. And if you think about what is best for the breed, well, we have all these other little objections. Well, what if they're not doing this? What if they're not doing this? We'll take all that aside. Let's say they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing. What is best for the breed? And that takes out a lot of the objections because, and people don't, I don't think people think of this very often when we're, when we're trashing um, these breeders that have a higher volume of litters. Um, if they're doing everything right and they're producing high quality dogs from health tested lines and they're doing just what any other show breeder would do, 
and they're putting out quality dogs into the gene pool. How is that not as good as someone who is very, very um, limited as far as what they will breed? Let's say they have a one litter a year, maybe two litters a year, and they're very protective of their bloodlines. And, and I do this, so I can't say that this is a bad thing at all because I do this myself. I am paranoid when it comes to my bloodlines. I'm very careful about it. But if they, they, they keep back their one, and then they're, they're very worried about their bloodline. So they spay and neuter everything else, whether it's show quality or not. They don't let those go out into the gene pool for fear of falling into the wrong hands, which I can absolutely agree with. I, I have that fear as well. So they have their one dog, and, and it's, it's fantastic. But how much is their program, their very carefully planned, very high quality program, how much is that influencing the breed versus someone putting out a ton of puppies? Now, if they're putting out a lot of dogs that are very high quality, wonderful. But what happens if they're not? What happens when you have all of the good breeders being so incredibly careful and selective that what is being added to the gene pool is so limited that it's not feeling the quality of what those breeders have done over the years, but it is being influenced instead by people who will breed anything to, and everything and let everything go on full registration to anybody. What's going to happen with the breed overall when we take the quality breeders and they are shrinking what they're adding to the gene pool while other breeders that are less discriminating are flooding the gene pool with what they have? So, and, and I don't know the answer to or the solution to that because I'm not about to let anything more go than what I'm comfortable with on full registration. And I don't know too many other breeders that are as well. But it poses a problem. So if you have someone that is producing really good quality dogs that they are adding to the gene pool um, and they're producing more than you're comfortable with, well, at least those dogs are quality because there are people that are producing a whole lot of crap that are adding them to the gene pool. And that's going to affect the breed overall in 20 years. How is that going to affect what we see in the show ring? How is it going to affect the breed in general? What, what qualities are we going to lose that these other breeders are trying to carefully preserve but are not adding into the gene pool with as much frequency as these other breeders that, that produce mediocre or possibly even crap that are throwing it into the gene pool. Don't put them in, just lump them into different categories. Get to know them. Get to know their practices. And if there's something in their practices that you object to, then absolutely that is, that is valid. But if you look at the number of litters they have and you automatically assume that the care must not be good, the socialization not be good, must not be good, the quality must not be good, their placement practices must not be good. You're assuming a lot. And we have enough problems with these animal rights groups that are trying to um, eliminate breeding altogether. And they're going after the show breeders first. 
and it's because they're they're the toughest to take down because they're the most responsible breeders as far as health testing, as far as placement, as far as keeping their dogs that they produce, keeping them out of shelters, out of rescue situations, and placing them responsibly. They're going to be the toughest to take down, so honestly, they're going after us first because the puppy mills will be easy to take out once they've got rid of show breeders and hobby breeders. Um, So let's try to look at each individual breeder separately, look at their practices separately. And if there's something objectionable, then, then that's fine. We need to watch out for those things as well and hold each other accountable as well. And that actually brings me to this week's ugly. <laughs> I talk about the bad, um, the ugly and the good. Um, this is the ugly. And this is a situation where I, I feel that people should be called out, not just breeders, but anybody supporting that type of breeder. Um, there was a situation and, and of course this person says, well, I'm not a breeder. Well, if you, if you breed one litter, you are the breeder of that litter. You are a breeder. you you just don't breed often. Um, but this, this gal had a Boston Terrier that had, um, that had been accidentally bred and two weeks prior I was about 10, I think about 10 days, maybe prior to, you know, the incident that I'm going to talk about, they popped up on the forum and said, Hey, you know, my dog is, is pregnant. This is unplanned. Um, and and basically discussing the pregnancy and many people said, um, with Boston's, they often need C-sections. So make sure you're prepared for that because it's, it's likely. And so, um, you know, that, that knowledge was already there and Boston's typically, um, it, this is not the type of breed where you can wait all day for them to have puppies and, and see what happens. If they are actively pushing um, to deliver one puppy and they are pushing for two hours, get the dog into the vet for a C-section. Um, if they're making progress, um, then you know possibly up to four hours if they're progressing. Um, they can also take breaks in between. You know, there's there's different exceptions, but. Typically, if a Boston is pushing for two hours and they're not making progress, you get that dog into the vet because it needs a C-section. That's just, unfortunately, a general rule with this breed. So um, this gal's Boston goes into labor um, on a Saturday um, by about one o'clock in the afternoon. She has had one puppy, and it's a live puppy. Then she waits for the dog to have the next puppy until the middle of the night. And so, of course, the only thing that's open is the emergency vet. So she goes into the emergency vet. And as emergency vets will do nowadays, um, they want the money up front. And it was, I believe, over $2,000 is what they needed um, in order to do this C-section. And uh, she didn't have the money. And so 8 o'clock the next morning, here's this post on a forum saying, please, you know, pray for my dog. She can't get in until Monday morning to have her c-section so the dog has already been in labor for 20 hours and at the evet they discovered there was one puppy with its head wedged and unable to be delivered both puppies there were two more puppies in there both of them were dead and one of them was stuck so eight more hours of labor and she pops up on facebook asking for thoughts and prayers and of course everybody's furious at the vet well Vets aren't, you don't have the vets that come out in the middle of the night anymore. Um, you, you don't have that many that will meet you at their clinic in the middle of the night or on a holiday. They, in our area, 
they refer you to the emergency vet and that is just what you do. And you make sure that you are prepared or that you are able to get the resources together to get your dog taken care of because that is their rule. And it's a hard, fast rule that they don't take you. They don't even begin to work on your dog. They, they look at them, they give an estimate, they show it to you and they say, we're going to need at least $1,000 to get started, depending on what it is. Um, and so you you have to, unfortunately, you have to be prepared for that or have to be able to find the means to take care of that in order to get your dog taken care of. So, of course, everybody's mad at the EVET, but that's that's the situation. You know, if, if you know, you know, 10 days or two weeks ahead of time that your dog may need a C-section, you look at those options, you call around, you find out what the pricing is, you find out what they need to take care of your dog. Um, you check with vets that, you know, may be available after hours. And if you don't find any, you find out what you're going to need to do in order to take it to the e-vet. So everybody's freaking out. They're all mad at the vet. Um, but some smart people who are seeing the real problem here, um, jump in and say, I'll donate, you know, please, what can we donate towards this? I'll set up a GoFundMe or a you caring and we will raise the money to get your dog the help she needs. And she's like, no, 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 I'm not in this to get money from anyone. Well, you just you may have to suck it up, princess, and suck up your pride and take some money from people to get your dog taken care of. But she wouldn't do it. And so here this goes on for hour after hour. And I and I, you know, would go off and do something and I'd come back and I'd look at this form and go, holy crap, nothing has been done yet. This dog is still in labor. What is going on? And I'm watching this unfold thinking, okay, surely the dog's going to get into the vet. Someone's going to come forward. Someone's going to know someone who can, who can get the dog in. This is going to be resolved. Nope. So the dog um, at, I believe it was noon or one on Sunday, delivers the second puppy that had been wedged. So 24 hours later, it has this second puppy. 24 hours of pushing a stuck puppy. And she finally delivers the second one. Third one is still in there still dead, still trying to be delivered. So here it is this evening and nothing has been done. And I am just, it's, again, it's like watching a train wreck. I am just floored that nothing has happened and she's still refusing money. So she gets the dog in eight o'clock the next morning. The dog finally has a C-section and they take out that last puppy and spay the dog. Thank goodness they spare. But I, I'm, um, let's just say I'm letting my opinion <laughs> be known on this forum about what has gone down and, and that this, this owner was cruel. This entire situation is a PETA commercial. This dog labored for 44 hours without medical attention, 44 hours. This, this is what these PETA commercials are made of is these cruelty situations and people on that forum were defending her saying you know she feels bad enough already well she should feel bad holy crap who's sticking up for the dog they're all sticking up for this person who feels bad that her dog had to go through this but she was on facebook all stinking day answering any question that came up she was right there to answer while this dog is laying there in agony she's on facebook feeling bad for herself and I, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm so critical of this. And I, and I, 
expressed that in many ways on this forum. And there were tons of people that came forward and said, well, she couldn't help it. Well, she didn't have the resources. Well, this, well, that. Well, no. Then when people offer to help you, you take that help. You suck up your pride and you take that help to help your dog. It's not about you. It's about your dog. And you need to be responsible enough to make sure you're not putting them through that kind of pain and that kind of agony. And that, that absolutely was appalling. And I believe it needs to be called out. Stop patting these people on the back and saying, oh, you did all you could. No, you didn't. I would not be off the phone until I had found a solution for that dog. I would be accept. I would suck up my pride and I would be accepting donations, offers to set up a you caring if I were in that situation. You can also, if you care about your dog enough and you can't take care of it and you're not going to take the donations, you can sign your dog over to a rescue that has the resources or has the connections that can get the dog the help it needs. But you're going to have to sign that dog over because they're not just going to take your dog and fix it and hand it back to you after that. So if you love your dog enough, you say, I can't take care of you. I'm going to sign you over to a rescue that can take care of you because your health and getting you out of pain right now is the most important thing to me. And that and rescues aren't, uh, this was suggested, there was the excuse, oh, well, they're not open on the weekends. Really? Do dogs not need rescued on the weekends? Do they only need rescued Monday through Friday, nine to five? Rescues are open on the weekends. Rescues pick up the phone on the weekends. That's when crap happens. So there was no excuse for this dog to suffer for 44 hours. And that is the kind of crap that we need to call people out on and not make excuses. Think about the dog, not about this other person's feelings. So I think <laughs> I, I think I may be done ranting on that subject, but that this is this is the kind of thing that absolutely just I, I can't handle and, and I'm sorry I can't keep my mouth shut about it either and I, I think I got kicked out of three forums that day by posting on one <laughs> with that opinion um, but if that is the type of thing they support ugh, it's not a, not a forum I want to be a part of to begin with um, so let's <laughs> on that note let's let's try to end on a on a positive note um, you know I've I've gone to a few shows since um, since the last podcast and I really have seen some some neat things happening um the the last show that i went to was very well promoted um and it was it's very much promoted as a a spectator type of an event and they hold you know different um they hold different demonstrations and things like that so you have a lot of the public there and there was there was so many people there who even though they had their classes were coming up they're getting their dogs ready they were stopping to talk to people about their dogs, about the breed. Um, and typically we're not all trying to peddle puppies because we don't have anything available most of the time. We've got waiting lists. So it's not like we're, you know, anybody was launching into any type of sales pitch. Um, they were just helping and being informative as these people came up asking about the breeds and about about showing and, and about the care of them and, and, you know, different quirks and things like that. And you don't, you don't always find that. And, and, you know, show breeders sometimes have the reputation, oh, you know, they're snobs or, or, um, um, you know, they don't, they don't take the time. But I, I saw a lot of people taking the time to, 
to talk to the spectators. And I and I witnessed that at, um, at a show in Monroe, um, the show in Portland, people taking the time to actually talk with these people and, and be friendly. Um, I had one gal come up to me at one show and, and she said that, that in her experience at past shows that she had... Um, that people didn't have the time to, to talk with her and, and were very upset that she was wanting to pet their dogs. Well, you know, if, if it's a poodle and they've been working on it for two hours and they've been hairspraying it, they don't want someone, you know, crunching up the fur and, and petting them. Um, but a lot of dogs, you know, they, they don't require that kind of grooming and you should be able to pet them as long as you're not going to be disturbing um, the grooming job that, they, that they've done. But, um, you know, she was, she was very appreciative um, of being able to talk with someone about the breed and she actually had a had a Boston a couple of that had passed away a couple of years ago and she didn't realize how you know how fresh in her mind that still was and I I uh I told her she needed some Boston therapy and I I uh, had a puppy there for some health testing and let her hold that puppy for a while and she the tears started streaming down her face and she didn't realize how bad she had missed her her dog and so just Little moments like that are important to people. And, you know, a lot of times I know we're in a hurry to get in the ring. We're in a, you know, we're in a hurry to, to get our dogs brushed and pick up our number. And, you know, sometimes we're running behind or we're stressed out. And, you know, the last thing we need is just a long, drawn-out conversation while we're trying to trying to get ready. But, um, you know, we, we do it. And I saw so many people helping out that way. In fact, um, at the last show, there was, there were several people that came up and said, um, where's Candy? And Candy is a gal in our club. And, um, they had talked with her about the breed quite a bit. And so the fact that several people came up and said, you know, where is she tells me that she put a lot of time into talking with people about the breed and educating them and making them feel welcome that they could come up and they could ask about them and, and that they could look for her at the show and, and talk some more in person and, you know, find out more about Boston. So, you know, kudos to, to the people that stop and help. Kudos to Candy for, for setting that, um, that welcoming feeling for everyone um, at that show, or, or at least for our breed and, and for the breed booth that they did that, that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, so I just want to end on that note. Uh, I want to, you know, thank you guys for listening. Um, I always welcome um, any kind of feedback, good or bad, uh, dogladyrants at gmail.com, just all one word, dogladyrants at gmail.com. Um, and I would love to hear from you uh, any you know, suggested topics, um, any type of feedback, definitely welcome. Also want to thank uh, Pants Pending Studios for hosting the podcast. They're a wonderful group to be involved with. A lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, So thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. is a Pants Pending Studio production. And part of Pants Pending Studios Entertainment Network. Find all of our great shows at pantspending.com. Get in touch with us by emailing us from pantspending.com. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the show, throw the show a rating on iTunes, and don't forget to tell all your friends. If you want to help support the network, you can at patreon.com slash pantspending. Thanks for making us a part of your listening day. Okay, all together, on three, one, two, three... 
Pants, pants pending. Pants pending. <sighs> Close enough.